We are on the subject of, we will spend the evening tonight, I'm cleaning my glasses. No, we're going to spend the evening tonight in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Don, don't shout me down. And Kevin, don't shout me down. Just give me a little latitude here. <laughs> um, it's an interesting text. There's a lot here, and boy, you start getting into it, and you realize there's more than you thought. And um, <clears throat> I will say to you at this point, look ahead at your notes. Be prepared to cover the last three issues rather quickly. One is going to be the last one is going to be Iteo, and um, I don't know. We may touch on Erotao. I don't know, but that's uh, that's the asking. Then we have yet to do supplication and intercession. Tonight, we will... I had no idea this was going to be this involved. I thought I could get through it last night, last week. Saw that I couldn't. And uh, <clears throat> we'll try to finish with it tonight and leave some time for questions. All right. We are studying the Grace Communications... Belief, uh, the Grace... Believers' communication with the Father. Your notes are so entitled, uh, so titled, I should say. 33 pages of notes, 28, give or take, plus five charts. And look at, look at the notes and where it makes reference to the charts. The charts are a part of that original packet of notes. Find the chart that, that needs to be inserted there. I have not done a real good job. So far, but I think most of them have to do with the three words uh, that are yet to be considered. Um, <clears throat> so let us, Don, I'm going to ask you if you would invite the Lord to participate with us. Um, why not? Amen. Let's get my phone turned off here so we're not embarrassed. We should do we all should do this out of habit by this point, but I still end up forgetting settings do not disturb. Um do not disturb. All right. <coughs> Last week we looked at the issue of vows. We gave you some uh, words to look at. They're in your notes. Uh, the notes are plenty involved here and as involved as they need to be. Um, UK, Yukumai, and uh, we gave you a, a, an idea in the notes of the distribution of those two terms in the New Testament. And then I said... <clears throat> there are really only three critical passages in the New Testament that we need to look at. Uh, if you're going to do a comprehensive study of this doctrine, you'll look at these other passages. But there are only three that really are, are I think, critically relevant. Now, I'm gonna, I shouldn't surprise you if you were here last week or if you paid attention to the online. Two of the passages in which this word or its cognates occur where it is. Let's look at that. Let's give you a definition. A vow is a communication. Vow communication is the affirmation. It is a positive affirmation. So it does have usage outside the grace, the grace believers' communication with the Father. You can affirm something to someone else. That is not grace communication with the Father. So, there are some illustrations of that in Scripture. We narrow, <coughs> advisedly, 
to the, the passages which deal specifically with the grace believers' communication with the Father. There are three. Acts 18, Acts 26, 21. 26, uh, Acts 21. And then James chapter 5. And these are all in your notes. I said last week, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it tonight. If you differ, please, you have the liberty... You have the privilege of being instructed by God the Spirit as you look at the Word when you're spiritual. Be spiritual and study the Word, and you have the privilege of being instructed by God the Spirit. Nobody's going to usurp that. Just be careful. Be careful. We try to be, I mean, that's Don, yes, Kevin, yes. If I make a mistake, one of these guys is going to talk to me and say, hey, I don't know, did you notice this? We're going to get together and hammer some, there may be some room for latitude. Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Not, not in the cardinal doctrines. <coughs> but the fact of the matter is nobody twists anybody's arm up behind their head and said, we will preach this and only this when it comes to issues that are, that are interpretive. We may choose, and I think wisely so, to be less than dogmatic to the extent that we're spraying all over the room, you know, and pounding the pulpit on the areas where there's a little bit of latitude for interpretation. There are three passages that we need to look at. Acts chapter 18 we looked at last week. Acts chapter 21 we looked at last week. I said to you, and I'm going to dismiss it with this, leave it here. If you, have, if you think you have some reason to come back and ask me to reconsider, please do so. Do so respectfully, but I'll listen. <coughs> Paul took a vow in Acts 18. It's not called a Jewish vow. I kind of think it was probably a Jewish vow. Doesn't say so in the text as I recall. Acts 21, Paul was approached by people of heavy Jewish... Uh, they're New Testament saints, but they are converts from Orthodox Judaism. How Orthodox, I don't know. But these guys are steeped in the law. And now they've been confronted with New Testament Christianity. They understand this is a transition period. It's not as if on any single given day, every apostle got a memo and said, tune in to the apostolic streaming, get, uh, download all the new revelation. This is the canon. Boom. Go with it. Codify it. Print it. Bind it. Distribute it. This is the Bible for the New Testament. Or this is your New Testament. These things, progressive revelation, took a little bit of time. We know that. We understand that. You've been well taught here. You know that. <clears throat> In Acts 21, Paul is approached by some people of heavy Jewish persuasion, and it's plainly apparent from the text. What they wanted him to do was assume a sympathetic demeanor so that these guys, whomever they were, that are having a hard time getting on board with New Testament Christianity, new instruction in righteousness, they don't like the fact that we're saying, well, yeah, there's new stuff. You don't really need to memorize the law, have your phylacteries and post it and print it and all of this. They're having trouble with that, Paul. So would you take, a, they've taken a vow. All four of these guys are not named, as I recall. They've taken a vow. They want you to take a vow. Just to sort of assume a public, well, you know, it'll appease the people. I'm going to say to you, I hope it doesn't shock you. After review, I'm 70 years old. I've looked at this numerous times, haven't counted. I, be, I, I cannot tell you that I'm confident that Paul was spirit-led with the vow he took in Acts chapter 18, at about the time he accompanied with Aquila and Priscilla, did they influence him? I don't know. Text doesn't say. It's open to conjecture. I cannot tell you I'm confident that in Acts chapter 21, with the record that Luke records in Acts chapter 21, where he's approached to participate in this vow, that he was spirit-led. I cannot tell you I'm confident. Nothing in the text says, hey, uh, by the way, go thou and do likewise. That leaves us James chapter 5. Jim, James, Jim to his friends and maybe to his mom. Heavy Jewish background. 
helped a great deal during the transition. It is apparent, if you're careful with the book of Acts and New Testament history, James may not have gotten the memos, all the memos that Paul did. Paul was the dispensation, the steward of this new gospel for grace living. Right? No surprise. Now be very careful to understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I am not saying we toss the book of James. I am saying that God the Spirit is responsible for what James wrote down. It is in James' vocabulary. God the Spirit chose the words. And by the way, what he, James was moved as a ship is borne along on the waves to write down what he wrote and to do it correctly. Bless God. He got it right. He expresses it in terms that leave some things open for interpretation. There is nothing in James chapter 5 that instructs the New Testament saint to do this. Nothing. There is mention of a vow twice. I think it's twice. Maybe three times, but twice, I believe. We'll, we'll see. Now, I've given you a handout, and I've given you a little bit of a... I've tried to smooth the translation. And let me say, folks, with translation, be gentle with these people that undertake to translate. It's not easy to translate. You are not translating. You're taking liberties when you embellish and say what you think it means. And maybe interpretively, it's very clear that that's what it means. But if that's not what it says, you led God the Spirit or somebody else Spirit-led who has the role of teaching you introduce you to this interpretive idea and let God the Spirit give you peace about whether or not to accept it. Don't put a word in there that's not there to help to explain an idiom. Take the liberty when you're teaching as I am or as Kevin will do, as Don has done and others, to explain it. But if you are translating and you call it a translation, don't put extra words in there. Now, why do I say that? Because this is technically not a translation. I've embellished it a little bit. I've taken a little bit of liberty with it. But I smoothed out a more, what, exegetical treatment of this so it would be more readable. So, you consult those notes if you will. Um, I will read through what I've got here, which you got last week. It's moderately exegetical, not seminary level, but it's more than most of you would want. But as I read, you go through and you see where I've changed it. And you will see this. Let me guide you as we read through this by asking you some questions. As we're reading through, how many people are in view? I'm on the wrong page of my notes. <laughs> How many people are in view? Some of these guys need relief. How many people are in view that need relief? Because we're going to see a, a formula for their relief. What is the particular distress in view? In the King James, two times it says sick and another time it says afflicted. They're different words in every case. Why? Because the translators, King James translators, apparently didn't think it meant that much difference. Made that much difference. Sometimes they make honest mistakes. Sometimes they make dishonest mistakes. I don't know what the case was here, but we'll show you what underlies the word in each case. Is any afflicted? Is any sick? The sick one will be delivered. Different words in every case. Different malady. Different people? I think so. I think these are hypotheticals, and I think it deals with at least three hypotheticals which could represent the people to whom James is writing. And remember, he's writing relatively early. He doesn't have Pauline theology refined yet, but what he writes is correct insofar as what he stated. And you'll find that here. Now, when we're done, we're going to be faced with a challenge. Is this instruction for New Testament saints today respecting grace communication? 
Or is it James's commentary on something which was probably widespread, particularly among people with Jewish backgrounds, who had familiarity with Jewish vows? James did not say, oh, hey, all you guys been taking, shaving your heads, stop it. Kevin, stop. Did you shave your head last week? You said you did. I did yesterday. Yesterday? Okay. Have you taken a, did you take a vow? No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay. Kevin said he shaved. Who else is it? Scott, when did you shave last? Yesterday morning. Yesterday morning. You guys are in the you guys are are in the grip of of law teaching, quite obviously, right? You're taking Jewish vows. Well, really not so. Um, James didn't stand up and say, Stop it, I'm sick of it. We're, we're turning the page, everybody grow their hair long. But he did give some instruction that is spirit-governed. Let's be careful as we read it. Okay, how many people need relief? I'm going to suggest to you there are at least three hypotheticals here, probably four. What is the distress? Is anybody sick? Michael, are you sick? You would admit to it. Does anybody in here suffer allergies, seasonal allergies? Anyone? Anyone? I do. Am I sick? No. Do I suffer from allergies? Yes. Am I in emotional distress? Well, it all depends on who you talk to. Those are three different aspects of my disposition tonight. Michael's smiling now, so he's not in distress. <coughs> Is there sin in view? How many times does the word sin occur here? Is there unrighteousness in view? Is there unrighteousness that has not yet culminated in an act of sin outside the body? Have you asked those questions? I hadn't. Not recently. What is the salvation and the death in view, the condition of death in James 5, 19 through 20? It's fascinating. All right. I will read through this. You... Follow along with me, if you will. In the smooth translation that I gave you. Is any certain one, this is a specific one, is any certain one among you afflicted? Now, I put a one there. If you look, I put one, two, three. Sick, sick. And afflicted, sick, and then down in verse 15, you have sick again. I've, I've kind of subscripted them. Is any of, among you afflicted? That word is a word that places emphasis on emotional turmoil. Now, here are some places in which it's used. Paul likes it. It's used four times in the Paulines. Twice, three times in Timothy. Let's see. I've got a couple of them here. 2 Timothy 2.3 Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Thou therefore endure sickness? He's writing to Tim. He's writing to his pastoral intern. Probably gave the same instruction to Titus. Thou therefore endure affliction. Endure sickness as a good... Go out and get sick for Christ. I doubt it. 1 Timothy 4, 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Afflictions there is the same word translated in James chapter 5, afflictions. It can mean, according to the lexicographers, physical illness. By context, its use in the New Testament apparently limits to something that it's not the best word to describe sickness in the New Testament. By context. It's limited. That is not a good word to convey the notion of sickness. I don't think he's talking about sickness here. What's the remedy for it? Call the elders. Uh, let him, not call the elders, I'm sorry. Let him direct a prayer of worship. Let him pray worshipfully. Is any merry? 
see a little bit of uh, two sides of a coin here? This may be a bad hair day for some people. It may not be for other people. In any case, there is a believer grace response. You're low in spirit? Direct worship, think about. There are books being sold right now. Pray the names of God. That's not such a bad idea. The names of God tell you who He is. Why do we value Him? Because we know something about Him. We know who He is. We know what His worth is. It is exhilarating to think of God in terms of His character and His person. Remind yourself, I'm getting chills. Remind yourself of His greatness just with the way you address Him. Pray a prayer of worship. You're feeling low. You ever have bad days? You just don't want to go to work. That's not really fair to ask. Yeah, I mean, you're like the rest of us, right? Man, think about the greatness of God and the fact that you know Him personally and you had privilege just to speak to Him just a half a second ago. Most of the people you meet today have no idea what that involves. Extol God Most High. It'll lift your emotions. It'll lift your spirit. And if it lifts your spirit, it ought to lift your emotions. I think that's this guy. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. The word here is a verb meaning to psalm. You want to know what psalms are? Look at scripture. It's, it's a scriptural idea. Verse 14. Is any among you, any certain one among you, sick? Didn't we just talk about this? No, it's a different word. This is a word, asthenao, the verb form, to be weak, to be feeble, to be without strength, to be powerless, to be weak in means, needy, poor, to be feeble, to be sick. That's there. So there is a permissible use of this word to describe physical malady. Here again, by context. Let the context determine. The men under whom we've studied, thank God for them, have said, you have not done your work unless you've looked at every text in which this word occurs. You have responsibility to see how God the Spirit intended you to take this word by looking at the places he chose it to express the thoughts and the concepts that he wanted conveyed. Asteneo, that's the verb form. Listen to it in John. We gave you the reference in John last week, John 4.46. There are other references where it clearly means illness, but there are several references. I thought I had them down in this part. I don't. Where it is not a reference to a physical illness. Here's a word which broadly can mean a physical illness, but doesn't always mean that by context. In some cases, it's spiritual weakness. Spiritual weakness. You know, what the, you know what the person who's suffering spiritual weakness needs? He needs someone who is gifted to hold his hands up. Won't get into that now. It is a word which can mean physical illness. And in John chapter 4, it did. In, um, oh man, I had these references on the tip of my tongue. I thought I had them written down here. Um... It's the word that's used in John 11. Ask the now. Guess what happened in John 11? Dude died. Right? Lazarus died. Lord let him die so he could <laughs> perform a miracle so that the Godhead would be glorified. <laughs> Figure that out. Well, you don't need to. You know the Lord and you know that he does what he pleases and he does it right. Is any certain one among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. I can't remember how I worded it. And let them pray. And here again, it's direct a prayer of worship over him, anointing him with oil. Is this guy sick or not? I don't know. But he needs attention. And they employ him. James says, hey, not a problem. Do it. He needs to anoint him with oil. This is a common medicinal remedy from the time. Plus, it's got some ceremonial significance. We're praying for the guy. 
let them pray a prayer of worship over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Not a bad thing to do if you got somebody that's under the weather and you don't know whether he's sick or he's just down in the dumps. You know. James 5.15, the prayer, the vow, the specific one of the faith. Now, wait a minute shall deliver the sick. Now, here's the third reference to a malady. Again, it's not sickness, and we'll show you why we don't think it is. Is this the guy in, John, in James, in verse 14, that called the elders and they anointed him with oil? Doesn't say it is. It's a different malady. This is a malady that has everything to do, and Kevin actually referenced it in the subsequent uh, session last week and went to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and verses 5. Verse 3 and verse 5. I'm going to tell you, you can do your own study on this, and by the way, there are two or three other words here that you have to include in the study if you're going to be real comprehensive. This is a word, how have I described it there? Emotional distress? Is that what I've said? Don, would you have a problem with that? Emotional distress? Kevin, do you have a problem with that? Emotional distress? This guy's emotionally distressed. Is he the guy that was sick up in verse 14? I'm not sure, but it's characterizing him differently. I think this is another hypothetical. Have you got somebody that's emotionally distressed? Why is he emotionally distressed? Don't know yet. But I'll tell you what the text says. The specific vow. Now you have to contemplate here. What's the vow in view? James does not tell you, okay, you guys gather. And by the way, if the, if the presbyteros or presbyteroi are still in the neighborhood, call them back. Let's get everybody involved here. And you all agree together, shave your heads and take a vow. And what is a vow? It's a positive affirmation. James doesn't say that. What he does say is, in such a case, the vow of or pertaining to the faith. And we offered you last week that you have to ask yourself, is this a spiritual gift of faith? Or is it a reference to the faith, the content of New Testament truth by which the grace believer may have victory over his three enemies? The text doesn't say. This is fairly early. I was willing to permit that it may have been the gift of faith. Um, I'm more persuaded as I look at this again because as you get down to verses 19 and 20, you need to, you need to make application of, of the text, of what you see here. I'm inclined to believe that this is the specific positive affirmation that is rooted in the believer's understanding of the truth by which the grace believer can have victory over his enemies. I am more inclined to think that's, that's the case here. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. But the vow, what would the vow involve? I don't know how much these guys understood about the armor. I don't know how much these guys understood about the content of didache, which we call the faith. James understood enough that God the Spirit was pleased to use him with the most explicit, definitive text on the lust, temptation, sin sequence in James chapter 1. I don't know how much they understood about this. Maybe some of them were still taking vows. Rather than disabuse these guys, James says, look, I think he's saying, if you've taken a vow here, let me tell you what's, let me tell you what's, what Scripture supports. The positive affirmation based on your understanding and use of the truth concerning the content of New Testament truth 
by which you may experience victory over your three enemies is going to bring deliverance to the one who's emotionally distressed. Why is he emotionally distressed? <laughs> Kevin, why do you think he's emotionally distressed? I'm going I'm to tell you something. Scripture nowhere tells us that we have to be sorry for sin to have it forgiven. You know what you know? You know what it means to be spiritual? You've been dabbling in sin. You're going to have a whole lot of sorrow. You're going to have a whole lot of emotional distress. And if you're not convinced of that, and the longer you leave that unresolved, you'll see real, real sorrow. The Lord never told him, I don't take from Scripture, that we are supposed to try to act, try to mime David in Psalm 51. You know what? David's soul beat him up. If you know what it means to be spiritual and you are dabbling in sin, expect to have some very bad days. And I suspect some of you, if not all of you, know how bad off you can get when it's just your emotions dealing with you. Your human soul was not meant to experience grief. Your human soul was not designed to experience sorrow. Tell me God put a mechanism in Adam deliberately so that Adam could feel sorrow. Adam got there by taking a path he never should have taken. You know what the remedy for your emotional distress is today? Get your spirit right and get succor, get sustenance, get relief, get comfort. In your human spirit that can help to discipline that nasty mess that your soul is in. You're going to be dealing with that as long as you're walking around on your hind legs. It doesn't get fixed until your hind legs get fixed. Till your body gets fixed. You need to be practiced up. I don't know what this guy's problem was. I don't know if it's a real situation, but he is in emotional turmoil. You know what James says? I don't know how much James understood, but James knew this. The prayer of the faith, did I care, that will remedy, that will bring relief to the distress he's in. Because of sin, lessen temptation from one or more of his three enemies. It's going to bring deliverance. I think that's what James is saying. Is he wrong? Of course he's not wrong. The Lord shall raise him up. That's a gyro. And if you have two conditional statements, you have one here and you have one down in 19. I'm not going to get into it. They're both third class conditions. They're at least one step removed from reality. And, and I thought about how to do this. I thought I'd take, it'd take the whole hour just to get through the conditional clauses. I'm not going to do it. In 15, if, and we're not sure he has, it doesn't say he did commit sins, but he is in emotional distress. Why? Maybe it's the unrighteous thought that went into it. Maybe he's a careful planner. Maybe he's a detail guy. He hasn't done a thing yet, but he's got all the schematics drawn out. So perfectly that he could give it to some punk and they, without realizing the implications of it, could go out and do it. Go out and get it done. Push this button. Turn the key this way. Cock the hammer this way. Make sure you charge the chamber. When you pull the trigger, the thing goes off and discharges around. Nothing to it. Simple. Maybe he's got that all planned. I didn't done anything yet. Maybe it's all unrighteousness that's causing the emotional turmoil. 
In any case, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. First John, First John 1 John 1.9 You confess the sin, the unrighteousness gets taken care of. In this context, he's flat on his back, emotional turmoil. If sin has been committed and he gets the unrighteousness dealt with, the Lord can forgive the sin too. And the word for forgive here is the FEME verb. It's the send it away verb. I think it's hypothetical. I don't think James is talking about a specific one. But listen. These guys are having a hard time accepting grace for contemporary Christian living. They're having difficulty treating each other like equals. They're preferring, they're tempted to prefer one over another based on what he's wearing. I love that shirt. You got zippers and pockets everywhere. How can I have one of those? As a matter of fact, if that fits me, I'd like to have it. Give it to me tonight. Why would you not? I'll trade you my t-shirt for it. So-and-so's got three rings on his ring fingers. He's got three wives. He's got a ring in his nose, rings in his ears. The tongue is a vicious, vicious thing. They're dealing with gossip and backbiting here. What is the sin involved in 515? I don't know. What is the unrighteous thought? I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing we don't. James had his hand full. Hands full. 16 says... Confess, and this is the compound, is confess outwardly. It's not homiligeo, it's ex-homiligeo. I'm not sure exactly. I don't think it occurs except in this text. But it has the notion of doing it outwardly. Confess your, I think I put unrighteous faults there, didn't I? I know I did. Confess your unrighteous faults. Why do they do that? Because the faults here is paraptoma. Go to Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 very quickly. Or you don't have to go there, I'll read it. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, paraptoma. This is an unpopular doctrine because people who are careless with the scripture want to make every word for something nasty to be exactly the same thing and all those words precisely interchangeable. So that if you took any two that are broad synonyms and interchanged them, the text would say exactly what it said before. Not so. Paraptoma is something nasty. But it's fairly clear when you study it with any sort of diligence that it is, it, it is probably best described as unrighteousness and really by context, it's what goes on in the head. So what's this issue in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a in unrighteous thought, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. How did you know what his thoughts were? Because he told you, he talked about it, he gossiped, brought you into his locker room and told you what he was planning to do. Maybe it wasn't something you could talk about in mixed company. Maybe it was. Maybe it was, I don't know, getting drunk, robbing a liquor store. I don't know. You which are spiritual, by the way, we talked about this. Can a person know when he's spiritual? He ought to. Who's the one who's spiritual here? Well, I don't, well, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to, I just don't feel comfortable saying I'm spiritual. Just can't be talking to me. Should you be able to tell when you're spiritual? Most people who are spiritual don't like to hear on fire and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. I don't know if you noticed I'm spiritual. Don't have to. But somebody Gently, humbly, step in, effectively, get with this guy and correct him. By the way, that's probably what's going on down here in 19 and 20. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. He told you what he was planning to do. This may be an area of weakness for you. This may be the last thing you needed to hear today. And someone brought you into their locker room and shared the details. And for whatever reason, you didn't have the courage to say, I don't need to hear that. Please don't. Don't tell me that. Confess your paraptoma to one another. Who are you confessing to? Maybe you're confessing your thoughts to the guy whose shirt you're jealous of. 
I wish him ill because he thinks he's sorry. <laughs> he thinks he's better than me. He always wears that shirt when I'm wearing his t-shirt. He always tries to outdo me. I'm sick of it. And by the way, I'm going to get with him and tell him. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe you're jealous of the rings. Maybe you're jealous of the car. Maybe you're jealous of the house. We don't even have a house. We got a rental. <laughs> Kevin's got a beautiful house. You ever been there? Behave yourself, people, toward each other. If you need to, I don't see this as a prescription for New Testament saints to lock, stock, and barrel, just start blabbing every unrighteous thought that goes through your head. But James apparently had some notion that there was some of this stuff that needed to be addressed, and God the Holy Spirit used him in a timely fashion to say this. You got unrighteous thoughts, it's time for you to confess to your brother. Go to him and confess him. And by the way, this is the alone, one another of the same kind. These are believers. Don't, don't forget now, this is early too. Because this side you're confessing out to one another, you don't find it anywhere else. Exactly. So if this is early, and at this time this is what they're doing, it doesn't mean that that's going to be kept on because it isn't. This this has got to be, and Don's done some, Don's done some good work in the, in the book of James. This is, we were not willing to look at Acts and James and some of these passages and say, well, what, who was he writing to? What did they need then that we may not need today? Paul gives some instruction about the use of the sign gifts. I hope none of you are carrying that list around in your pocket because it doesn't apply to you. All the revelation, the written revelation that you need is available in the Word right here. But at the time at which it was written, with things in transition, some of these instructions needed to be kept careful track of. That's messed up my prepositional relationship there. Confession, and as Don says, this is not said anywhere. We are never told with an imperative, broad imperative. Do this as a general practice. As a matter of fact, we are cautioned in many places not to make people participants in your what? Iniquity not to make them participants in your mess. Take them into the pigsty in which you've been willing to tramp around a little bit in. And then pray. And this is the Yukumai. Confess your faults one to another. Uh, and pray. This is your Yukumai verb. Um, one for another, alone, one in behalf of the other. That's a who pair there, one for another, that you may be healed, and the healing there is a healing term. It's a term you would expect to see in a healing context. James is talking to his peeps, and I presume he's giving something there that's very timely, God-ordained, <sighs> that you may be healed. Um, the effectual fervent prayer, and the word for effectual fervent there is, it's, it's one of our power words, the powerful prayer. And the word prayer in, in the last clause of James 5.16, what do you suppose it is? Don, are you looking at it? What is it? It's supplication. It's supplication? The effectual fervent supplication of a righteous man availeth much. You know what the supplicator does? He prays for something he hadn't got the details on. You can pray effectually and fervently about something you, you don't know the details of. <clears throat> How closely you relate this to the context of 516, I don't know. I'm going to let you be grown-ups and let God the Holy Spirit impress you with what he cares to impress you with from this text, but you've got several hypotheticals here, and I think they all are meant to be instructive to the people to whom James is writing this. And the time in which he's writing. Then you've got this parenthetical, Elisha was a man subject to like passions, and I think I put similar emotions as we are. He prayed earnestly. He directed a prayerful, he prayerfully directed, he worshipfully directed a prayer of worship. You've got the noun and the verb here. That it might not rain, it rained not on the earth for the space of six, three years and six months. And then in 18, he prayed again, directed a prayer of worship. 
and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth its fruit. Now in verses 19 to 20. Brethren, if, third class condition, this might be happening, it might not be. Text doesn't say, but the possibility is at least there. Carl's telling me five minutes. We'll do this quickly. <coughs> if any certain one, tis, any certain one of you do err, the word for err there is the wandering term. It's planao from, listen, the truth. What is the truth? The faith is the content of New Testament theology which gives you the remedy for dealing with your three enemies. The truth is the content of, it's a subset of the faith. It's a content of New Testament theology that gives you the remedy for dealing with the sin nature. This is articular here. I believe that's precisely what's in view. Brethren, if any of you do err, do wander from the truth. Is that happening today, Kevin? People wandering from the truth concerning the sin nature today. You were in the class. You were teaching on Sunday morning. Of course it is. 2 Timothy 3, right? Do not try to tell people how to deal with the sin nature. They think you're crazy. whole lot of problems are going to, be, going to result from people not knowing the truth about how to deal with the sin nature. and going to get worse. If any among you err from the truth concerning the sin nature, let... Uh, the one that convert, the certain one, particular one that convert, and one convert him, and the word for convert is turn aright. It's turn. Turn, it's strepho. It's a compound verb of strepho. And by the way, convert, not a bad word to be used in the context of evangelism and soteriology, as long as you use it correctly. Conversion is turning. And I... I don't like to say turning from. I like to say turning aright. It's not turning around specifically, but turning aright. Let him that know, let's see, and, and one, turn him aright. Verse 20, let him know experientially. Who knows experientially but the New Testament saint who has taken oida knowledge and experienced in the process of spiritual growth moving from Oida to Gnosko, experiential knowledge, and then to full experiential knowledge. Let the one know, let him know experientially that he which again, the one who converteth, turneth aright, the sinner, now that's, that's a, a cognate of, of uh, uh, hamartia, so this is, this is sin, <coughs> from the error of his way. What's the error? It's the wandering from the truth concerning the sin nature. If the believer does not know the truth concerning the sin nature, he has no way to deal with the sin nature. He has no way to experience victory over sin. World of hurt, peeps. <laughs> World of hurt. Let the one who converts him, turns him aright, let him know experientially that he... <sighs> He has delivered, it's the word for save, it's sozo, delivered a soul, a suke, from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. If you're the one that sets the ship right with respect to the truth concerning the sin nature, you give the individual the ability to have victory in the lust, temptation, sin sequence and head sin off because before it culminates that sequence. Now, what's the death involved? You ask this. <coughs> I'm happy to observe a little bit of latitude here interpretively. Hang on just a minute. Don. I don't think this is threatening uh, reprobation. This is threatening what? Hellfire. I don't think that's what's in view. I think the fundamental notion with death in every context is separation. The individual who has no concept how to deal with the sin nature has no way to experience the what? The experiential reality, the present tense of life eternal, experiential reality. He has no way to experience resurrection life. Among other things, I think what's in view here is the potential for being separated from spiritual blessings which come in fellowship. Don, did you have something you wanted to add here? Well, it, remember too, with 
Okay, that that's Yeah. So 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 whether or not interpretively you make this to be on a continuum where listen no present tense uh, experience of resurrection life because you won't comport yourself according to scripture and ultimately what's going to happen when you get over here? Discipline is pretty effective. Mark Conrad, bless his heart, said about uh, the chasing, uh, the chastisement of bringing the believer home early. It's a blessed time to go home and meet the Lord. But the fact of the matter is if you got brought home early, someone else finishes the job that he had for you to do. <sighs> questions? <laughs> Any questions? I, th this was a challenge to me. And there are other... The word for faint that you find in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, and you find it again in Hebrews 12, verse 5. You're going to find it in uh, Galatians chapter 6. Uh, where? I don't know. Verse 9, I think. That's another word for being faint, for being weary, for being tired. It does not mean sick. But as you look at this text, folks, Bless the Lord that he was able, without <laughs> breaking a sweat, to give the people in this transition period what they needed through a faithful guy like James. And James didn't have to make any of this stuff up. Now, if, you're, if, if you can be spiritual, if you, if, you're from, if you know what it is to be spiritual, and have things straight between you and the Godhead, and respond to God the Spirit, um, some of this... if do you have to make a positive affirmation to God? Or can you let your yay be yay and your nay be nay? Can we be about as simple with this as the Lord is? Can we just do it? Lord, have to see you get all histrionic and sweat flying and oh Lord, I mean it. I really mean it this time. Just do it. God helping you. Just do it.